our Advent season, and uh, last week we talked about the candle of hope. And what we talked about with hope was what do you do when you run out of hope? We talked about how oftentimes we hope for something. We hope for a raise. We hope for um, healing. We hope for a husband or for a wife. We hope for a new car. We hope that uh, for a better credit rating at the end of Christmas. Um, and, and, and we talked about how oftentimes we lose hope, right, because we're hoping for something when in fact we should be hoping in someone, and that is Jesus Christ. And how Jesus comes in the midst of those things that aren't happening when the healing doesn't come, when the circumstances don't turn out the way you expected. And that Jesus comes to give us sustaining strength and peace and hope. And so we talked about that uh, last week. This week, what we're going to do is talk about love. And, and, and more importantly, how does love really display itself in the, in the, in the Christmas season? Because we're all going to have all these opportunities in the season to display love, to give love, to receive love. And, and for all of us, it, it's going to come across a little different. I don't know if you're familiar with the love languages. There's, I think, five of them. I think someone came up with a sixth one. That's probably me. Uh, that doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, confusion. That's my love language. Um, sarcasm. No. Okay, so... Uh, but people express love. I mean, for you, um, and my daughters and I were having this conversation just this week. One of my daughters doesn't like to receive gifts because it makes her stressed out. And then she feels like she's got to find a gift. Well, gift giving is not her love language. Her love language is quality time. And so it's important for me to know that as a dad or anyone who wants to date her. Uh, it's gift giving. So go have at it. You'll do a great job. Uh, no, but, uh, but it's quality time for her. And so, uh, and so she, would, she would display love in quality time. Um, uh, other people, it's acts of service. And so it gets kind of frustrating. If you married someone and theirs is uh, quality time and yours is gift giving, oftentimes you'll be giving them all sorts of gifts. And what do they say? They say, I just want to be with you. And you're like, but I bought you a diamond. And they're like, I just want to be with you. And you're like, I was out buying diamonds. You know, so it's kind of like that, that, that whole thing. Well, when you, get to lo- when you get to love and you get to the Advent season too, the, the Bible talks about love. And it doesn't necessarily talk about it in love languages so much. It talks about it in other terms. And that's what I want to talk about this morning uh, is what does God say about love? What does Jesus say about love? And then how can we hopefully take some of these ideas, some of these principles, and bring them into this week as we end up going to family parties, as we end up going to office parties, as we end up driving around at the mall trying to find a parking space? How, how do we show love? How do we receive love in the midst of this season? And so that's what I want to accomplish this morning. We're going to look at a story that Pastor Bob actually talked about two weeks ago that he touched on for one of his points, but I want to take our whole morning and sit with this story to maybe understand uh, the person that Jesus is talking to, because I think there's a lot of things that he asks, a lot of places he is going that we might want to go, or we might be tempted to go, or we might be coming from. You might be here this morning for the very first time, and you're just trying to figure out what, what is this Jesus thing all about? What's God all about? Religion? Well, you're going to identify a lot with this, with this one particular character, but also we can identify with Jesus in a lot of ways, I think. As we 
kind of talk to people where we're coming from one perspective and they're coming from a different perspective and you're trying to get on the same page and sometimes that's super frustrating. That's what this story is about. What happened was Jesus, we're in the book of John and if you want to turn to it, we're going to start in John chapter 3. But in John chapter 2, um, John talks about kind of how Jesus' ministry is just taking off. It starts off with his first miracle, turning the water into wine, um, which might happen at the office Christmas party. Uh, and so um, he, this is his first miracle, and it's kind of his, his uh, way to just really kind of kick off his ministry. But then it goes right from there. He goes into the temple, and he turns over the tables, and he, he drives out the money lenders and, and, and he's, he's cleaning house, if you will. As a matter of fact, that's kind of the terminology he uses. He says, you've, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. You've sold toys for tots pins. You know, I did, no, I'm kidding, uh, right? But like, 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 that's what he's saying. Now I'm cleaning house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into this den of robbers. And so... so a bunch of things were happening all at the same time in Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 2, just before this, it says that many kind of saw his signs and began to believe in him. Like, man, he's healing people. They, they, they probably heard about the water to wine thing, and they, everybody heard about, it was all over Facebook, the turning over the temple, you know, the, the thing. It was, it, the internet blew up on that one. I mean, that was a big deal uh, at the time, a huge, huge, huge deal at the time. I, I just can't even tell you how, what a big deal that was, not just for the Jews, but also for Rome as well. And so that's the story we're going to pick up is, is in that kind of backdrop we're going to look at one of these characters that was most likely in the temple when that went down. And he also understands Rome pretty well. It's in John chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, uh, we'll start there. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And as Bob kind of briefly talked about a couple of weeks ago, this was a big deal. There were about 70 of these guys. And their job, Israel, was occupied by Rome. And what happens when one entity goes and occupies another entity, it, it, it's not that the other entity just lays down typically and goes, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, glad you're here, pave our roads. Like, it, there, there's uprisings and there's all this kind of conflict. And so Rome came in and occupied Israel. And then uh, it, over history, there were these different uprisings. And so they put these governors in place. And the governor's job was twofold. Keep peace, collect taxes. Keep peace, collect taxes. So they needed kind of a go-between, Congress, if you will, or however we want to talk about now, that understood the people, but also understood Rome. Understood how to walk in kind of a spiritual realm in the temple and have everyone realize it's not so bad. The Romans aren't so bad. Look, you know, we got this great temple. We wouldn't have gotten on our own, blah, blah, blah. And then they also know how to walk in the political uh, circle of influence. And so they would keep peace that way. And so they, they had this kind of go-between and they were paid very, very well for this service that they did. And so Nicodemus is one of those guys. He's like really important. And, and, and the thing about Nicodemus we have to understand is he's not necessarily a bad guy. He just knows how to play both sides of the fence pretty well. 
I think as we see in the story, we'll realize he really does want Israel to become the nation that God had planned for, to be God's people, and he would be their God. And so he shows up, and he came to Jesus by night, which gives you an idea of what the kind of risk Nicodemus is taking to understand these kinds of things. And he says, Rabbi, which just means teacher, and it's kind of a very respectful way to approach Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You can kind of get a sense of where Nicodemus is coming from. He thinks God is with him, that he is not God in the flesh, which is totally understandable if you're coming from the perspective that Nicodemus is coming from. And so he says, we know you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs uh, that you do unless God is with him. And I would imagine that Nicodemus is just pausing to take a breath so he can finish the point that he was going to make when he came to Jesus. In other words, you don't just come to somebody and say, we know you've come from God as a teacher, for no one does these signs unless God is with him. So I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Like, like what's the point? Nicodemus was about ready to go, and I think, and you can fill in the blank, it was going to be, but can you tone it down a bit? Look, look, it's obvious there's something going on here. Nicodemus couldn't see past it. He wasn't going to just dismiss the signs like some of the Pharisees were doing. He's like, man, I, I think <laughs> I'm not going to just push all that aside. But for Nicodemus, for this all to go down the right way, Jesus had to gain popularity. He had to do kind of, Nicodemus is going, look, I know how to play the system. You can't just go in and start flipping tables over. You can't just go make a big deal out of everything. You know, and, and, and again, this is pure speculation, okay, on my part. None of this is in the Bible. Uh, there's some clues of it, but n- none of this is in the Bible. I just, I just figure I'm like Nicodemus. I just kind of put myself in that place. If I were him, and I was making pretty good money, and I was playing both sides of the system, I'd go to the dude and go, hey, I can help you out here. Let's do this the right way. I can talk, you know, I can, I can kind of, I can tell you when the greatest time, you know, all this kind of stuff. Maybe not. Maybe Nicodemus wanted to just say, hey, we know you're from God. See you tomorrow. Who knows? But what Jesus does is just take the whole thing and turn it upside down on its head like one of the tables. He just goes like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Which is just gibberish to to Nicodemus. That doesn't make any sense. Just like if you are coming to church for the first time or it's kind of Christmas time and you're in the same spot as Nicodemus. You've tried to kind of dismiss the whole spiritual part because you're about science or you're about, you just kind of, but there's something there's something there that you can't just dismiss altogether. And so you're just seeking. You're just going, well, I'll just see what they have at church or whatever. You're kind of wanting to get your questions answered before you take that next step because it's risky. And so for you to come to church is kind of like coming at night and you're hoping your friends don't see you and all that kind of stuff. I totally get that. I think that's where Nicodemus is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts using born-again speech and Nicodemus, kind of like you or I, is like born again. Oh, no, not. I mean, and, 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 and we've hijacked that terminology now um, and, and turned it, made it worse than it is. But 
Truly, I say to you, unless someone's born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This truly, truly is very interesting because John's the only one who uses two trulies in a row. Is it Lionel Richie that had that song? That just popped into my mind just now. Okay, so truly, truly, uh, and he uses it 24 times. John puts truly, truly 24 times uh, uh, together in the book of John. No, but Mark doesn't do it. Luke doesn't do it. Matthew doesn't do it. And it's all when we get to this idea of kingdom talk and life and death and kind of these big things. It's, it's almost like when Jesus uses truly, truly, he, the, the actual Greek word is amen, amen. You know, so be it, so be it. This is yes, yes might be another way. Truly, truly. Like, like ugh. If I could just get, it's almost like you got to get this, okay? So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You all, you all of a sudden get the idea that this isn't going to go the way Nicodemus thought it was going to go. But Nicodemus doesn't run from that. This is what I appreciate about the, his character. Is that oftentimes when you start to hear this kind of stuff, you're like, you know what, forget it, it's hogwash. And some of you, that's been your story. You kind of kept coming back, kept coming back, and God was doing this thing, and you couldn't look past it. There's something different. You were getting in touch with like the spiritual side of you, that you have a soul. You could sense that. So Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He, can't ent- he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Can he? <laughs> like, you know, I don't, I don't know how Nicodemus said it, but I would have been like, because you're talking to Jesus and Jesus does miracles and you heard about this and you're thinking, ah. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like you know, you, you're trying to figure Jesus out. And so he says, he, he can't be born, Kenny. And I don't know if there was a pause or what happens, but it, it has kind of gotten weird for Nicodemus. And Jesus is like, oh, it's going to get much weirder than this. And so he continues and he goes again, what's up with the truly, truly's, Jesus? Uh, you know, just say it once. I get it. I say to you, unless one is born of water, this is so key, water and the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says that, that thing you're sensing, Nicodemus, and maybe for you as you're, as you're here, that thing you're sensing is the spirit, is the spiritual realm, your soul, if you will. And this manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Sometimes, you know, you put all your money and all your faith and money or a career or whatever, and all of a sudden you get farther down the line, and all of a sudden you turn around one day and you go, is this really it? That's the Spirit beginning to manifest itself and calling you and going, no, it's not. And so Jesus says you've got to be born of water of Spirit. Now, here's the interesting thing at Christmas, and this is why this is a Christmas message. This is exactly what happened for Jesus. When Jesus was born, the only one that this will ever happen to, when Jesus was born, he was born of water and of spirit. Water, the biological creepy part, and then the spirit, he was part, he was God. I mean, the whole story of Christmas is kind of one of these things of like, wait, what? There's this Virgin Mary human and then she gets somehow impregnated by god some night when she's asleep or whatever how does that even work when jesus came out he was being born of water and of spirit that's why jesus doesn't have to be born again (laughs) 
He did it the first time. So Jesus is really talking about, in a lot of ways, Christmas for himself, but not for Nicodemus. So he says, uh, uh, um, yeah, unless uh, spirit of the kingdom of God, I'm sorry, yeah. And then he, he says, uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, he's saying, don't be amazed. I'm not just talking about the flesh. So no, you don't have to enter into your mother's womb. But there's this other part of it, this spiritual part, the part that probably drew you here in the first place. There's a longing to make things right again. There's a longing, Nicodemus, in you, and your, the, your perspective to make things right is to get rid of Rome, to have us finally in our land again, operating as God's people, worshiping him in the temple, and all this, and it's made right again. That is your spirit talking, and that spirit needs to be rebirthed. And for some of you, Maybe that process has never happened yet. And yet, you, as like Nicodemus, you're going, I want to dismiss it all, but there's still, I just can't deny. Sometimes I think I feel the presence of God when I'm in church with a bunch of other people. Sometimes it comes when you're singing and you think, ah, it's just emotion. And you go, no, I, there's something. I can't dismiss it. And Jesus is almost like drawing Nicodemus out. Like, yeah, that's right. You got to be born again. Born again. Yeah, come on. So he says, uh, and, and, then, and then he gives this really kind of encouraging, um, uh, he breaks it down into this encouraging language. At least it's encouraging for me. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone born of the spirit. Now, this is why this is kind of encouraging. And again, if you're here and you're trying to figure it all out, What's so encouraging is that you don't have to have it figured out in order to have it work in your life. I would submit to you, you'll never have it figured out. You'll never have all your answers answered. There's a young man who came first service. He was here first service, and he was talking about the service, and he said, he said, I've never been to a church like this where I just feel loved and I can sense God and, and the Bible's real to me. But he's like, but the Jesus is son of God thing. I, can you explain that to me? And I said, I, I can. Hey, Pastor Bob, come here. <laughs> and so I don't know, I'm, sure, I'm sure Bob got it all figured out with it. But, but again, I mean, that question is a tough question. And, and that's why we hire professionals here. But it's like... But, but again, don't you have those questions? And what, what this verse is saying is sometimes it's okay to feel the wind of the Spirit and not understand where it came from or where it's going to just understand that it's real. You know, so that's okay. And so he says, that's, so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You, you won't have all your questions. Let, let, me, let me put it this way for you, okay? Because these are terms that, I, that work for me. Oftentimes, I'm waiting for God to move. And Nicodemus was the same way. He's like, God, we're, uh, we're occupied. Move, bring your Messiah so that you can wipe out the Romans and we can get things back. We're waiting for God to move. When in fact, in reality, God is waiting for us to move. 
That, that I sit and I wait and I go, okay, why hasn't God done this? Why hasn't God done this? Why hasn't God done this? And God sits and he goes, you're going to have to take that step. We talked about it last week. That step from no hope to trust is what we call faith. And God's just waiting for us to take it. And when we do, he comes in and says, I got you. It's the same type of thing. So Jesus says that oftentimes we're waiting on God and he's waiting for us. I just think it's so encouraging that he's going, you know, you don't know all the things about the wind. And I'm telling you, I watch the Discovery Channel and they'll have stuff on weather and they'll explain everything to me. I still don't understand how it all works with the pressure and the low and the moon and the tides. And it's like, what in the world? But, but I feel smarter, you know. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to the stuff of the Spirit, you don't need to have all the details. You, you can't understand the details. It, it's kind of a mystery, but you can sense it, okay? So Nicodemus says what you or I would say. How can these things be? How can these things be? Have you ever seen a stereogram? I didn't know what they were called until I looked them up on the internet. So a, um, a stereogram shows up in a book, um, those books, The Ma- Magic Eye or whatever. The, it's all these dots, and they're just on the page, like all these dots. And then um, if you, like, get your eyes all freaked out, then you can see a dinosaur or something like that or a, or a flower or whatever. They're called stereograms. And if you don't know how to do them, they're super frustrating. So my mom bought me a book of stereograms. And, and, and they're basically just pictures. And you have to look a certain way. And, and, and then there'll be a, something like it'll come out. Like it'll, it'll be 3D. And so I'm telling you, it didn't matter what page I was on. I, I, could, not, I could not see one of these stupid things. And then they have this key in the back. Like, you know, you can go and it's like the shadow of what you're supposed to see. And so I cheated. And I'm like, I'm going to go look. And I still couldn't see this thing. It's super frustrating. And I had a whole book of these things. I just wanted to put it in the trash. Then I saw my first stereogram. It like came out of the page. And I was like, Nicodemus, how can this be? How can you have this 3D thing in the bunch of dots? And my mind was blown. I was like, but I learned how to see stereograms. And you just kind of have to look past them. And, and kind of as you focus on infinity, kind of, then it comes in the... Here, here's one right here. Uh, now, the problem... This actually is a true stereogram. The problem with it, it's so far away, you're kind of focusing on infinity already, so it's hard to look past something that's far far away. Your eyes have kind of already done the most farther away they can do. Uh, But feel free to keep staring at this thing. Uh, I I fully expected that the next five minutes of me talking, you will not pay any attention to. So I was born in New Jersey. No, okay, so... So you keep looking. If anyone sees something, feel free to just raise your hand and tell me what it is. But again, I, 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 if, it, if you could look at it on the computer screen, you could actually see what it is. But uh, I just don't think you can here. I know what to look for, and I, I couldn't. 
see what it was because it was too far away. Um, anyway, it's, uh, I'll, I'll give you two more seconds. But, but this is kind of the, the whole thing. It's like oftentimes we're looking at something and it just looks like chaos. It just looks like static. It just looks at like, like, I don't even know. And it's, it's like really frustrating. And so Nicodemus, uh, you know, he's, okay, stop looking at that thing. You guys are going to go blind. You're going to be like, I, I didn't need glasses before I went to church, but now I do. Um, anyway, it was the Starship Enterprise. It was like really cool, really nerdy, super geeky. I loved it. But anyway, once I learned how to see those things, and, and, I, and I did spend a good half hour this week uh, going over the internet looking for more of them, because once you learn how, it's kind of fun. Because at first you look at it and it's just normal, and then you just kind of do the funky eye thing, and it's like, wow, I can, I can totally see. You know, it's a frog. You know, wow, yeah. And, and so it gets, but but if you don't know how to do it, it's super frustrating and annoying. This is exactly where Jesus and Nicodemus are. Nicodemus is like, dude, you just showed me this picture that it doesn't even make any sense, and Jesus is like, dude, you can't see it. It's Starship Enterprise. It's like his. It's like it's, it's like as broad as daylight. I mean, come on. It's in 3D. It's taking a nose dot. You can't, look, here's where the, you know, uh, and, and, and so that's where he is. As a matter of fact, I'll just show you where the Starship Enterprise is. It's like right around in here. And, and, and yep, yep, there. Okay, no, but it's, it's in there. Anyway, it is there. Trust me. So Jesus says this, and this is just so frustrating because this is what you would say to me if you could see the Starship Enterprise and I couldn't, right? He says to him, are you not a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? It would be like he's going, dude, the company you work for publishes these books. You can't see that? Like you got magic eye stuff all over. You're wearing a magic eye t-shirt. You can't, like, like this, is, this is Nicodemus. It's like, dude, you talk about the kingdom all the time. Like, all, your whole life is about living in these two worlds, the flesh, which is Rome being here and, and, and occupying and all that kind of stuff. And then you live in this world, the spirit, where you understand you're the people of God. Because for Nicodemus, just to be born of Abraham, to have Abraham in his line, he was in. It is the kingdom. There is nothing else. I'm a Jew. I made it. And Jesus is like, you got a magic eye t-shirt on. You can't even see the Starship Enterprise. Now, I don't know if Jesus is upset with Nicodemus, if he's just jabbing him like, I knew you'd never see it. You know, Star Trek hasn't even been invented yet. You know, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know if he was doing that. Or if, I, I mean, I don't know. I think he's kind of just like, oh, man, this, this is like the key to everything. And, and I, I think this is what Jesus is saying to us. I think as we head into the Christmas season, which becomes so chaotic and so crazy, we like take the whole story of Christmas, of God sending his son Jesus, and we turn it into stuff that just stresses us out. And, and, and like to us, that's the office Christmas party. That's having company over. That's going shopping. I just think in a lot of ways in my own life, Jesus wants to go, is that really all there is? Take another look. There's something behind all this. There's something eternal. There's something else going on. So he's kind of frustrated. Then he goes back into the truly, truly's again. 
He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you don't accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Here's what I think Jesus is telling them. Nicodemus, I don't think you're trying hard enough, man. There's stuff going on now, and Jesus is going to begin to ramp it up and explain it more in, the, in these verses coming up. But I, I wonder if for us, so many things in this season is just a stereogram, and we get frustrated, and we think, why is this relationship failing? Why, why is this happening to me? Why don't I get this? Why haven't I gotten that? And it goes back to what we were talking about, expectations, and it goes back to what we were talking about, about hope and Jesus is going, if you just focus farther down the road, if you'd focus on something different than just the paper in front of you, something's going to begin to appear. And you're going to begin to understand how the kingdom of God works. But for that to happen, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to understand that life is not just flesh and blood and just kind of getting your needs met. There's something else going on. And there's no better time than the Christmas season to understand that with a baby who was born of flesh and of spirit all on the, at the same time. So Jesus ramps it up a little bit for him. And he says, this is so trippy because Jesus is talking about himself right now. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I don't know if he was like the son of man. <laughs> like, you know, how, how, like if, he, if he did that or if he was just kind of trying to keep still that stereogram there and just like, come on, come on, Nicodemus. Keep looking at it. Keep staring at it. It's going to come to you a little bit. Keep it coming, right? But Jesus is talking about Christmas. But he who descended from heaven, and again, I don't know how the whole God man things wor- thing works like i don't know if he would like remembered what it was like to be in the trinity prior to coming to earth and he's just like or that was like revealed to him then or how all that kind of stuff works it, it's totally beyond my pay grade but but he, he it, it's like it's like he he realizes at this point like the son of man came down but he doesn't stop there Because Christmas is not just about Jesus coming as a baby and we do presents and we have a nativity scene and the wise men and all that stuff. There's an end game that all has to do with being born again in the Spirit. The whole purpose of Jesus coming as a baby, God in the flesh, God with us. When we sing Emmanuel, we sing God with us. The whole point is for something else, something bigger. A kingdom, another kingdom of the Spirit. And so even as Jesus is talking and he says, no one's ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. His very next verse is about describing why this is taking place. He says, and he talks to Nicodemus in terms Nicodemus absolutely understands. He says, the, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And Nicodemus knew this story. Moses was with the people of Israel in the desert. And 
uh, and they were complaining against God and doing all this stuff. And so God gets upset and he sends a whole bunch of snakes to them. Now, I'm telling you, just can we just pray right now? God, thank you for not sending snakes when I disobey. Amen. Like, I hate snakes. Hate them. I don't like, there's no such thing as a nice snake to me. They're like cats with no legs. And, and, and so, so he sends these snakes, and if you get bit by the snake, you're going to die. Okay? And so this is kind of his punishment on the people of Israel. But then he says to Moses, put this image of a snake on a pole, and we'll raise that up, and anyone who looks at that will be healed, and their, and their, their infirmity will go away. They won't die. Now, I don't know about you, but like anyone who died after that, that's on them. Because right? if all you have to do is look at the pole, like look at the pole, and then you're that guy. I'm not looking at a pole. No one's going to tell me to look at a pole. You know, it's like, hey, yeah, that was, you know, Frank. He's just, he's just kind of an idiot. Well, sorry, Frank. You know, you should have looked at the pole. We all did. Let's get out of here. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You know what? There's going to be another one of these. Just as that snake gets lifted up, the image of the infirmity gets placed in its place. And all you have to do is look upon it, as we do with the cross. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. Anyone who believes in him would have eternal life. Almost like Nicodemus, this is how you're born of the Spirit. This is how it's going to go down. And so Nicodemus knows that story. And then what happens is, so the next verse, there's some disagreement on who said it. <laughs> uh, so I was preaching this morning out of the New American Standard Bible, which is the Bible I grew up with. I typically preach out of the uh, New International Version. Um, and so, uh, uh, or as some would joke, the nearly inspired version. <laughs> okay, um, so... Uh, uh, in my Bible, in my New American Standard Bible, there's these red letters for when Jesus talks, right? Okay, a lot of you have this in your Bible. Anytime Jesus says something, it's in red. <laughs> and so, uh, G- like, that wasn't in the original Bible, by the way. We did that in uh, earlier this century. But, um, so, everything's in red. Well, in my Bible, what I'm about to show you, Jesus said, it's in, it's in, re- it's in red. But as scholars began to study this in a lot of different ways, there became two camps. Some believe Jesus said the next verse because he's right there riffing with, you know, Nicodemus and it kind of goes into the next thing. But John would oftentimes at the end of one of Jesus's speeches comment on it and go, you know, this is really important as he's writing to his readers. I don't want you to miss this is what is what Nicodemus would say. So If you have the New American Standard like I do, this is in red. If you have the NIV and it was before 2011, uh, it's in in red. But if you have the new NIV, the new, new international version, which basically they're all the same, but they took this out and they made it black. And so, you know, who who knows? Here's the thing. Before you guys freak out, I'm like, nobody knows what Jesus said. Um, Either way, the next verse that comes is super, super important because either Jesus is going, Nicodemus, I'm going to boil this whole thing down to one thing for you. 
we've been talking about being born again. We've been talking about this. We've been talking about that. The Son of Man and all this thing, just as the Moses is in the desert. Like, let, me, let, me just, let, me, let me just give it to you in one fell shot. Or John is like, guys, you got to get this. This is super important. Either way, the next verse is really, really, really important as it relates to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved, so he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave of himself, essentially. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I could, I could totally see Jesus saying that. I could also see John saying it. You know, the, you know what the real point is? God said it. God had it in his word. At a really crucial time, when Jesus is trying to explain how do you see the kingdom in your own circumstances, how do you operate in the flesh, but then have this drawing of the Spirit of God? And so God has either Jesus say it or John write it or whatever. There's good arguments for both. He loves you. And he was willing to sacrifice for you. And so as we go back to the original question that we asked in the very beginning in, in, this, in this kind of Christmas season, how do we show and give love and receive love? We give of ourselves. We understand there is another kingdom happening. And this might manifest itself differently in your week. You might have situations where you're going shopping and you look and you're just stressed out and you're trying to get all the presents bought and trying to get it in all under budget. And there's all these pressures and then work wants to get year-end numbers done and the shipping is going crazy and all this kind of stuff. And you just see chaos. And your heavenly father says, look a little closer. That person that's going to visit, that family member that's going to visit, that's so annoying. But look, look past that a little bit and see that I might be doing something.